We're going to read uh, from Ephesians this morning again, so if you want to flick forward to Ephesians chapter 5, that's where we're going to be reading from uh, in just a little minute. Um, My time has really been squeezed this week in terms of prep time for bringing uh, this message, and so I'm really going to ask that you're patient with me. I I don't have the markers in my notes for the slides. Uh, I've just I just didn't have time to to even finish that, so we're we're going to just see uh, where we go today. And uh, our title today is The Christian Family, as you can see from the screen. What does it mean to be a Christian family? Has that changed over the years, or should we still hold to the principles that we read in the New Testament? So today I'm I'm addressing Christians because we're talking about the Christian family. And uh, my desire is that we consider the, the wisdom of the apostles as they spoke into the church in their day, and that we hear what God still wants to say through Scripture to the church today. And when we're talking about the Christian family, I think we need to remember that God instituted the Christian family. And we read about this way, way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 27 to 28, it says that God created man in His own image in the image of God, He created Him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Right at the very start, God began with these two people, a family. And they moved on into populating the earth. Not everything went smoothly, as we know, when we read that book, and we read about the things that happened, um, and it just reminds us that families aren't perfect, okay? I don't know about you. Maybe you live in a perfect family. I've not experienced that yet. I'll tell you why I've not experienced that, because I'm in the family, and I know that I'm not perfect. And the Bible is full of families who worked well in families that were dysfunctional. But nevertheless, it's my opinion that the family is God's design for society, and also these days I think that it's under attack, has been for decades, and has been for even longer than that, perhaps centuries. This is what the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was uh, read out on the 10th of December 1948, this is what it says about family. Article 12, and it's it's got something in it in relation to family. It says, no one shall be subjected to arbitrary interference with his privacy, family, home, or correspondence, nor to attacks upon his honor and reputation. Everyone has the right to protection of the law against such interference or attacks. And what I see today is interference in family affairs by the state. That's what I see happening today, and it's unwholesome, and there's something behind it. Section 3 sorry, of Article 16 says, the family is the natural and fundamental group unit of society and is entitled to protection by society and the state. This was 1948, this was written. It's still held to today that the family is the both natural and fundamental unit of society and therefore deserves to be protected. I think the family 
is under attack these days. The values that are in our family are under attack these days, and we need to be aware of that. See, I think family is God's design for the human race. And rather than family being protected, it seems to me that it's increasingly under attack. And perhaps that's something that we need to explore. I'm not going to explore that in depth today. But I said the family has been under attack. Let me read something that comes, and this might seem a bit bizarre for me to read this out, but I'm going to read it anyway. The Manifesto of the Communist Party from February uh, 1848. This is what it says. We will only interfere in the personal relationship between men and women or with the family in general to the extent that the maintenance of the existing institution would disturb the new social order. That's incredible. 1848 this was written. So when the family, the relationship between man and woman and parents and children, let's say, as well, that institution which God has put in place, when it begins to interfere and disturb the social order, then it's saying here that the state will step in and sort things out. That's incredible. That's scary. I don't know about you, but I just think that's incredible. And some of these things is what we're seeing today in our society. I would say one thing that we need to bear in mind today as we begin to think about the Christian family is that the family is a unit, and in the unit there should be unity. unity. The family isn't about the promotion of one person over another. It's not about promoting self. It's not about promoting one interest over another. It's about a unit that works together in unity. And as we read the passage on family in the New Testament, we need to read them in the context of the whole of New Testament teaching. You see, the temptation is that when we read passages uh, about family and we start to read about things like the man being the head of the wife, right, the, 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 the man being the head of the woman, that we begin to think about hierarchy, that we begin to think about dominance, we begin to think about control, we begin to think about lordship, we begin to think about who's the boss around here, we think about the dominance of the man over the woman, over children, and perhaps the man over even other men. Because when we read these passages, as we'll see, it doesn't just talk about family, it talks about slaves, and it talks about masters as well. And the danger is that we think about this in a hierarchical fashion. Somebody said that the man's the head of the household, but the woman is the one that turns the neck. Okay? <laughs> So, take out of that what you will. But we're going to look a wee bit about what the Bible says about this. You see, my problem sometimes with that way of thinking is that I have seen that worked out in a family situation where a woman is kept underneath, where she is kept in her place, and the, the man has been a dominant person, a dominant force, a controlling force, and I don't think that's what this passage that we're going to read is talking about. The man's position isn't to dominate, as, as we'll see uh, in, in Scripture. I've seen this work out so that it becomes an abusive type of situation. 
And we need to really be careful about what we teach in the church in relation to these, these types of things. One thing I will say is that the church is called to be different from the culture that's around us. Now, I'm going to talk about something uh, just before, uh, no, we're going to read Ephesians, sorry, uh, chapter 5. We're going to do that first. So, if you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, you can't hear the rustle of my pages because it's on an iPad. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And it's quite interesting, in the Bible, when I was looking at this passage, it's interesting when you go through a book of the Bible, it forces you to preach on things you might think, I'd rather not preach on that. But it forces you to look at things, and even as I was looking at this passage, in my Bible, okay, this is, this is my Bible, okay, where I'm starting is above the title where it talks about wives and husbands, okay? I'm starting in the verse before that, and if you look at some translations of the Bible, if you look at the, the anglicized version of the NIV, uh, it actually starts at verse 21, which is quite interesting, because this is what it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Excuse me. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And then it goes on in verse 6 to change tack slightly. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, <clears throat> that it may go well with you and that you may endure. Instead, bring them up a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Again, it changes tack. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free. And lastly, on this subject, again, a slight change of tack. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. What an interesting passage. 
Very, very interesting words. And I, I think as I was researching this and thinking, what do I believe on this subject? I could easily have stood up here and told you how this works in my family and what I believe. But I want to try and just understand the context into which Paul is writing here. And one of the things that I learned as I was researching this is that at the time, in the Greek world, in the Roman world, there was a thing called a household code. And the household code uh, had already been in existence before the New Testament was written, before the church was born. And my impression of the household code was that it gave the man complete authority over his wife and over his household, women, children, and slaves. And so, this household code was already in existence. The code was more about how women, children, and slaves should act towards the husband, father, and master. And where the New Testament differs, and it's interesting because the way that this is worded, what we've just read, is very similar to those household codes, but significantly different. And where the New Testament differs is that it also addresses husbands, fathers, and masters. You see, these New Testament texts do not give absolute power to men, but instead require a high degree of responsibility and mutual respect for all members of Christian families. You see, the reality is that in Christ, we are all equal. And we'll maybe get to the point where we read some passages on that. We're all equal in Christ. And there are three passages in the Bible, the one which we've just read, and also the passage in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, and then, sorry, all the way through to, sorry, chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through to chapter 4, verse 1. Similar type of thing. We'll maybe touch on some of these. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can see what I'm talking about. Okay, it'll be a lot easier, and hopefully you can read what's up on the screen. Let's just go through what these passages, and I've not read the other two, so you need to do that uh, in your own time as your homework, okay? And you maybe look a bit more at that in the connect groups. But these passages are very similar in who they address, okay? We started from that previous verse in Ephesians to include the fact that it talks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In Colossians, we read in the first 17 verses about rules for holy living. And then in 1 Peter, it's addressed to everyone to live in harmony. Then we go on to read about wives in all of these different passages. Wives, it says in Ephesians, to submit to their husbands, the same again in Colossians. And then in 1 Peter, it's slightly different. It talks about submission so that even if there are husbands who are not believers, that they would be won over to the faith, to the Christian faith, by their wives' behavior. It also goes on to talk about not being overly bothered about the outward appearance, about jewelry and makeup and all this kind of stuff, but to think about the content of the heart. It talks about an inner beauty in Peter. And then it goes on to talk about husbands and their role. 
And in Ephesians chapter 3, it references three times about husbands loving their wives, about husbands respecting their wives. It talks about husbands in Colossians loving the wives and being gentle. And in 1 Peter, about being considerate and treating wives with respect. Then it goes on to talk about children. And the first two passages here about obeying parents, okay? About honoring father and mother. And again, in Colossians, it talks about being obedient to parents, a word to fathers. And this is where, again, it's different from these household codes. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. That's a good word, isn't it? Don't exasperate your children. There's just something in the way you say that word out loud that gives you an idea of what it's like. It's like, God, you know, do that. But to train our children up in the ways of God. Colossians is similar. It talks about not embittering our children. We can get on at our children so much that we cause a bitter heart to rise up within them, and they rebel against that. They rebel against our teaching goes on to talk about slaves, slaves obeying and respecting their masters, about serving in Colossians, obeying not just to win favor, but working for God. And then the last verse is about submitting with respect, treating their uh, uh, slaves uh, well, and uh, obeying not just to win favor. Sorry, I'm going back a bit. I'm lost in my notes. Uh, Masters, treating our our slaves well. And then the second one is to provide uh, for them to be fair uh, and to remember that we actually are all serving a master in heaven. And so there are these three passages in Scripture which kind of mirror this household code that was around at the time. And one uh, commentary that was reading uh, suggests that the reason which Paul refers to some of this is so that the church isn't immediately coming against the culture that it's living in and saying, actually, uh, we're different, we're Christians, there's a different way of doing things. Because I think as we read Scripture, we realize that there is that equality in Christ. And I want to just give some context to this stuff as well. I'm going to read some Scriptures. We've already read some of these, but I'm going to read some more as well. Uh, Over uh, recent months, and we, we read in Acts how all the believers this is chapter 2, verse 44. All the believers, men, women, children, were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 says that we're all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Galatians chapter 3 says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, when we're thinking about male, female, slave, free, we need to read that in the context of what Scripture also has to say in other places, that there is neither slave nor free, Greek nor Romans, (laughs) Jews, whatever, there's neither slave nor free, we're all one in Christ. 
Lastly, Philippians chapter 2. And maybe this is something for the husbands to think about. When it talks about loving our wives as Christ loved the church, listen to what Paul says in Philippians. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, when we read these passages about loving as Christ loved the church, my goodness, there's a very different aspect to what Paul is teaching to the church, which Peter is bringing into the church. We need to think about what that means, and I'm going to just try and walk through some of these terms that we come across in these uh, passages. The first one is about headship and submission. Why did I put up a nettle there? because this can sometimes be a bit of a prickly subject to handle. We're like, ooh, I don't know if I agree with that. And the reality is that there are many different opinions on what the Bible actually teaches on this stuff. And we need to make up our minds about what we feel God is saying to us through this. And the one thing that I would say is that headship is not bossing us, just as Mary comes in. Headship is not bossiness. Christ is the head of the church, and as the head of the church, exemplifies self-giving, self-sacrificing love, self-surrender to the Father's will, and humility. As the head of the church, Christ loves us, Christ sustains us, Christ nourishes us, He listens to our cares and our worries, and He cares deeply for us. Husbands, we have a lot to live up to. We have a lot to live up to. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Bobby Sim, what are you laughing at? <laughs> it's a tall order, isn't it? I know, I was saying at the start of this, that I don't live in a perfect family because I am part of that family. I'm not going to talk for anybody else in my family. I'm only going to speak for myself. And I can say that I have fallen far short of what it means to be a Christian husband in a Christian family on more than one occasion. At least once a week. No, I'm more kidding. <laughs> Christ loves us, sustains us, nourishes us, listens to our cares and worries and cares deeply for us. And it's in that context that we need to understand what headship means. It's about giving. Headship is about giving. I think, and you might disagree with me on this, I think men are created differently from women, by and large, okay? And if you want to see something that reinforces that, watch Mark, watch Mark Gunger on YouTube, okay? Look it up. If I, I'll, I'll maybe try and put a link on, on the church Facebook. He talks about the difference between men's brains and women's brains, okay? If you've not seen it, watch it. You'll be in stitches with it, okay? 
And it talks in the man's brain about how it's filled with little boxes, okay? And you only take one box out at a time. You deal only with what's in that box, and then you carefully put it back in without trying to touch any of the other boxes, okay? And the man has a very special box in his brain called the nothing box, okay? That's why guys like me could go away fishing and do absolutely nothing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to impersonate Mark Gungrave here. Watch it. And then he talks about women's brains as being totally different. He talks about them as just being this big mass of wires where everything's connected to everything. Watch the video. He can say it far better than I can. And how the reason women can remember everything is that everything's connected to something else, connected to emotions, and therefore, I can't, I, Mary, she, she, I, I get a message from you, okay? If you give me a message and you say, pass on to Mary, she'll get the, the full stop at the end of the sentence, okay? If you say something to Mary and you say, pass on to me, I'll get the whole story, okay? I'm like, just cut to the chase, please. Too many words. We're just different. And I think in our difference, God has equipped us to be able to provide something and bring something into the family context that the other can't. And I know I'm speaking in generalities here, but it's generally true most of the time. Then this thorny subject of submission. Submission is not about taking orders and cowering under. It's about respecting, working alongside, learning alongside, and loving this whole idea of anybody being under the thumb, whether it's the man, and we've all talked about that, you know that phrase, he's under the thumb, it's like big thumbprint in his forehead, right? And I don't think that's a healthy thing, but we can also have the woman being under the thumb, being subject, being, you're tied to the kitchen, just so that you know, girls, that's not what I believe, okay? <laughs> tied to the kitchen, oh, and my goodness, Mary went to college, and this reflects something of this thinking. Mary was like, yeah, beauty, we're getting to go to college. We're going to learn something new. What did they say? The reason you're here is to learn about babies, because that's all you're ever going to do, is have babies. Can you believe that? That's what was said to these young girls on a coach going to college. Wow, that's an ouch moment, isn't it? Submission is about coming under the man's leadership and headship. But that headship is not about domineering and bossiness because we need to remember that little verse at the start of Ephesians where we went before the title where it says, submit to one another. How does this work out practically in our family? It works out in a way that we mutually come to the big decisions in life. It's not about me saying, I'm the head of the house. Therefore, we will do what I say. And we all know that that never happens anyway. <laughs> we had a debate, if we had a debate about whether we'd put a carpet in the living room or whether we'd put a wooden floor down in the living room. That debate went on for three years. <laughs> three years. And I wanted the carpet and Mary wanted the wooden floor, right? And she just got so fed up listening to me that she went, okay, just get the carpet. <laughs> we need to replace this carpet. And so I didn't go, yes, your beauty, have one. I went, well, that was the sensible thing to do, wasn't it? <laughs> no, I didn't really. I, I didn't. I didn't really. I didn't. 
You see, it's not about one person being over and above. It's not like that. It's about mutual submission. It's about submitting to each other because God has put gifts in your spouse that you don't have and vice versa. And we don't all have all the answers. We need to find out those answers together. And when we're looking for answers, we really need to come together on some of these big decisions that we have in life. About respecting. Respecting is about recognizing a person as being created in God's image and conferring value on that person. We demonstrate this by adopting the right attitude of our hearts and through our words and our actions. We talked a little bit about our words last week. And as one commentary writes, the wife is no longer surrendered to the husband, she is entrusted to him. He does not have rights of lordship over her, he takes responsibility for her. And each of us, in our uniqueness, in our giftedness, in our difference, come together and we work together as a unit. And it goes on to talk about obedience and honor. God has instituted family, and family is there for the furtherance of children. And I want to think just a little bit about obedience and honor. You see, obedience is addressed to the children. Children should obey their parents, and, pro- and the parents should be providing godly leadership in the house. Fathers need to consider how they interact with their children, not making them bitter and not frustrating them to the point of anger. Can I just say something here to the guys in the room, to the fathers in the room? Don't be absent in your children's lives. Don't say that you'll do such and such when things calm down a bit, because the reality is that things don't calm down. That's always going to be something else that is a Rob Parsons says, Rob Parsons, care for the family, read 60-minute father for the guys, 60-minute mother. He says the quieter day never comes. It doesn't. It's true. There's always something. Don't be so absorbed in your work that you have no time for your wife and your children. You see, there'll come a day when you stop working, and the great risk is that you've built a business but not a future with your family. There comes a day when we need our family around us. You see, we've got to invest today. We've got to invest in relationships. We've got to invest in family. We've got to invest in our wife. We've got to invest in our husband. We've got to invest in our kids. And sadly, that's what's not happening in society today. One last thing when it comes to children, and this applies to parents And we were given this advice when Sarah was just a wee tiddler. Don't boast about your kids until they're 90. (laughs) Good advice. You see, when we boast about people, we put them up on a pedestal. And when we put them up on a pedestal, it can create two reactions. One go, wow. And the other go, let me find a brick. I'm going to knock you off of that. Don't boast about your kids until they're 90. Then it talks about honoring. And this is quite an interesting one. The Bible says uh, about honoring our father and mother. It says, honor is given to parents when children are no longer children. The parents' role changes as children grow and become men and women in their own right. Parents 
should consider this carefully, and inattention to these uh, good boundaries will lead to tensions. There came a point where I stopped being a child. There came a point where you stopped being a child. Vocate, you are still a child, okay? Just so you know that, you're still a child, so you need to be obedient to your mom and dad, okay? (laughs) But there comes a time where we grow up and we stop being a child. Josh, you're getting close, but you're not there yet, (laughs) okay? And if we keep trying to treat our children who are now grown up as children, then we're stepping over a line and we're going back over boundaries that are going to create tensions because what it starts to do is introduce elements of control and domination and manipulation potentially that are unhealthy. When our kids are wee, we talk to them in a certain way, don't we? You know, if somebody came in here with a pram right now with a baby, I did this just the other day, and you're like, ooh, goosey, 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 ooh, right? Could you imagine me coming and talking to you? Like, you'd think, that guy's a weirdo. (laughs) And you'd be right. (laughs) We've got to change the way that we interact with people as they mature and as they grow up and grow older. But there's something that we need to learn here because we're all probably wearing different hats at different times. And I am still a son, and therefore I need to honor my father and mother. Honor is given. We need to give honor. I still honor my dad, even though he's not with us anymore. Because honor is given. One of the things that we're maybe not very good at in our society is actually marking the transition between that childhood stage and then becoming an adult. Think about this. In cultures all over the world, they have these moments where a boy becomes a man. They have these moments where a girl becomes a woman, and there's a transition, and there's a rite of passage. We don't really have things like that in our culture, or, or do we? Am I missing something? Do we do things like that? Maybe have an 18th, or a 21st, or but, but, but it's not, it's really celebrating a birthday. We don't have anything that celebrates that coming of age, that becoming a man, you know, and I'm glad. I'm so glad that I don't live in some cultures in the world. See, some of the things you do to become a man, it's like, <gasps> oh man, I've seen these programs. I'm like, I'm, I'm glad I'm Scottish. <laughs> I would hate to go through that. On drugs and everything, you're like, <laughs> but We need to do something to recognize when our children become adults, and we need to do something about the way that we treat them when they become adults. I'm saying this with my children sitting in the audience today. Hopefully, I'm getting it right. You don't know. Sometimes you don't know. You can be making the biggest mistakes in your life, and you just don't know. That's why relationships are important. That's why communication is important. So, in summary, the Christian family, I think some of the things that I think are important is about mutual submission and respect. I provide for Mary in a way that's probably quite unique to me as a man, as a husband, but she also provides for me in a way that is unique. And she respects me 
in a way that is quite unique. Husbands and wives are one flesh and one in Christ, which is God's original order. God designed us to be in that relationship. And even after the fall, after sin came into the world, that whole thing was upset. And the way that we functioned was, was very different. I think God wants us to realize that we're one in Christ. Husbands, wives, children, they were one in Christ. That the husband is not a harsh dictator, but must love, respect, and submit to and care for his wife because there is mutual submission. To love as Christ loved the church. Guys, that's a, that's a big ask. That self-sacrificial love. Wives must submit to and respect their husbands in what they say and what they do. And I don't know about you, but I've been in places where I've seen both of these things abused, where I've seen husbands abuse their position in the family. I've also seen it when women have not been respectful to their husbands. And I'm no joking, it actually makes me cringe. Did you just really say that? I've been in these situations where I've counseled people in these types of situations. God has designed us to work together as a family and in harmony, and that family is part of God's design as the building block for communities in our society. Fathers, be gentle with your children. Train them in the way of the Lord. Jings. And then lastly, and we've not really touched on this today, about the whole thing about slaves and masters, because we don't really talk using that language today. We may be thinking about somebody being employed and somebody being the employer. I don't know if we can translate that through, but those who employ people should be fair. They should be consistent. They should be honest. They should give a fair wage. And those who are employed should really think about the fact that they're not just working for an employer, but they're actually working for the Lord, which is what that passage says. We need to really think about what it means to be a Christian family. We need to really think about, actually, are we different from what's going on in society? We were chatting last night uh, on the way down to friends in the car, and when we got to our friends, we ended up chatting about some of these things as well, and how difficult family life is these days, the pressures that is on the family, uh, all sorts of things that come our way that put pressure on families, that create tensions, that create breakup, that create division. Um, and, and it's just, it's really difficult. And we as parents, when we allow these things to come into our families, then it begins to affect our children in negative ways. And I could say a lot more about this, but I'm not going to. Uh, I feel it'd be inappropriate. But just some of the things that I've heard, uh, even just chatting with, with my kids about their friends and what goes on in their lives. And it really makes me feel quite sad that young people are growing up in that environment these days without any frame of reference to any sort of moral values, without any frame of reference to something that's maybe true, because these days, absolute truth doesn't exist. Well, if it's true for you, then it's true. If it's true, eh, not for me. We can agree to disagree, yada, yada. And there is an absence of fundamental core values in our society, the things which used to stitch us together, there's an absence of morality in our society which used to give us a foundation to work forward from. 
And this is where the Christian family and the Christian church is called to be different, to be salt and to be light in our community, to model what is actually being talked about here, which is actually the, the example that Christian, uh, Paul is using in the Christian family is about Christ and the church, that relationship that we have with Him, Christ, who is our Savior, the church, who is His body. We are part of each other, serving and seeking God's will for our community. Let's just bow our heads. We're going to finish there. We're going to pray. And uh, let's just be challenged with these things. You know, if, you, if you've disagreed with something I say today, come and ask. Um, search the Scriptures for yourself and find out what the Bible is actually saying around some of these issues. And uh, let's really allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts today uh, as we seek to, to be the people that God wants us to be. Father, we thank You for Your presence in this very room today. We thank You that You have uh, gifted us, that You've uh, made us strong in different ways. Father, that You have given us what we need in order to be the people of God, in order to be the family of God. Just that family of God in, in, in Whitburn here and the, the way that we represent communities that are round about Whitburn. Father, You have called us to be a unit, a family unit, strong here in the local church. Father, able to reach out into our community. Father, you have called us as families uh, to be strong and to really mirror your love for us and for your world in this society in which we live in. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts very clearly. Father, that you would challenge us in areas where we've maybe been getting it wrong. And Father, that you would come and that you would minister to us and that you would really speak to us. And Lord, we pray as we go into this week, Lord, that you would just really uh, touch our hearts and that you would bring light into our situations. And Lord, just as we prayed earlier about peace, Lord, we pray for families today. And Lord, we pray for some of us. We, we may, may need to just take that, uh, that moment to pray before you and to be still before you and to know that you're God. And so, Father, we pray for our families today. Lord, I just pray over families in this church. Lord, those who are here, those who are on holiday. And Lord, I pray uh, much wider for families, Lord. Uh, maybe one person here, uh, who represents their whole family. Uh, and Lord, we just pray for each of us that you would help us to really grasp what it means to love you, to love our neighbor, to love those in our families. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to really be a good witness to them. Father, that our lives and lives of love would win other people over. Father, that your word would just be demonstrated through what we do and through what we say. And so, Father, strengthen us, strengthen families. Lord, the we just pray where the enemy seeks to get in and bring division, to, to bring attack. And uh, Lord, we know that he's doing that all the time. He's trying to get in and to uh, bring disruption and disunity and discord. Lord, we pray that you would stay his hand, Lord, that you protect families. Lord, that you'd keep your hand upon families. Lord, for this church, for families in this church, that you'd protect and that you'd just uh, keep the enemy at bay. And Lord, we pray that you'd strengthen us in Jesus' precious name. For the things that we need to do in our service of you, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.